This is Inside the Writer's Head with Emma Carlson Byrne, the Library Foundation of Cincinnati and Hamilton County's 2018 Writer-in-Residence. The Library Foundation's Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, literacy, and creativity while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Here now is Emma Carlson Byrne. Hello, all. I'm Emma Carlson Byrne, this year's Public Library Writer-in-Residence and host of Inside the Writer's Head. My guest this month is children's book author Aubrey Andrus. Aubrey is an award-winning writer who has written over 25 nonfiction books for kids. She often works on activity titles, including 101 Small Ways to Change the Planet from Lonely Planet Kids, A Year of Slumber Parties from American Girl Publishing, and Project You, More Than 150 Ways to Calm Down, De-Stress, and Feel Great from Capstone Publishing. Aubrey also ghostwrites, often with YouTube personalities, among others. Aubrey, welcome. I'm so glad you can talk to us today. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your journey into the world of professional wordsmith. Were you one of those kids who always knew where your book was going to be on the library shelves? So writing was just something that always came pretty easy for me and what I excelled at. Um, I loved reading and I liked drawing too. So I knew I was going to do something creative when I grew up. Um, But somewhere along the way, the idea of being a magazine editor sounded very glamorous to me. Um, Probably sometime in high school, you know, I just loved reading magazines. And so flash forward to a few weeks before college and my family thought I should eventually apply to be in the business school and major in marketing, but I was flipping through the, you know, back then we had like the paper catalog of classes. Oh, <laughs> um, of course. Of course yeah. we did on newsprint. <laughs> uh, and I stumbled upon this magazine class and it led me down, you know, this wormhole of majoring in journalism. And I just, that really spoke to me and that's where I knew I wanted to be. And so I was completely terrified by the idea of creative writing, but something about magazines like was really appealing to me. So um, got into the journalism school, worked for the student newspaper as a city editor and really fell in love with that. Um, and then before I graduated, I applied for a PR internship at American Girl. And I went to school at the University of Wisconsin and American Girl is headquartered in the suburb next door to Madison. Um named Middleton. And so I worked for that summer as a PR intern and I very much enjoyed it, but we were promoting, you know, writing press releases, promoting the books. And I kind of realized that I wanted to be the one writing the books instead of promoting the books. Um, And by the end of summer, an associate editor position opened up at the magazine and I applied and got it. And so that is my first step sort of into children's publishing. So um, tell us a little bit about about the time at American Girl and about being an editor. You were lifestyle editor, is that right? Yes. So yeah, I started as associate editor. Um, I was doing that for about a year and then I got promoted to lifestyle editor, which is definitely the coolest job on the magazine, if I had to say so. Um, I basically got to work on photo shoots and develop crafts and cooking content. It was very like Martha Stewart for tweens uh, kind of position. And uh as someone who grew up reading the magazine, it was super thrilling for me to work on that kind of content. 
And yeah, so that's, that's sort of what I did at American Girl. Yeah, yeah. So you would, um, would your writing actually appear in the magazine? Would you field pitches from writers? Um, tell us a little bit about your day to day back back when you were an editor. Yeah, so when I worked at American Girl, the magazine and um, the contemporary lifestyle books were two separate departments. And so all of my writing appeared in the magazine. And if you're not familiar with American Girl magazine, it's a lifestyle magazine for eight to 12 year old girls. Um, a lot of people think of the catalog when I say American Girl magazine. So it's not the doll catalog, but this is actually like contemporary content for real girls. Um, and so it was filled with, you know, everything from advice to fun games and puzzles to interviews with real girls to um, cool features uh, like crafts and cooking, which is what I mostly worked on. Um, and so it came out bi-monthly and I would have, you know, at least a couple features in every issue. Okay. Okay. And so, and now of course you are a freelance writer. So talk to us a little bit about how working on the magazine or ed- and editing at the magazine prepared you for book writing, which we both know is sort of a different animal. Yeah, it is. I think just from working at American Girl and literally sitting next to the book department and having friends um, working on books was a nice intro for me. Um, Some of our content would be repurposed into books. So we had a little bit of overlap. Um, And so once I left the magazine, um, my boyfriend, who is now my husband, um, had decided to go back to school to get his MBA So we left um, the state and I took a job as a marketing copywriter at a retailer. And so once I left the company, they just kind of reached out to me and asked if I was interested in writing a few books. And the transition was a little bit easier for me because the books were basically just a longer form of what I had already been working on for the magazine. They were also lifestyle books, um, you know, crafts and games and puzzles. And so for me, it was a a little bit of a seamless transition. Um, the project just was much bigger in scope and, um, it took a a lot more time, you know, to, to work on and a a longer lead time and production time, uh, than when I was working on the magazine, which was a little bit more fast paced. Sure, sure. And, you know, during that period when you were moving from working in an office to working at home as a freelancer, you know, um, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are interested in making a living writing. And that means, you know, staying home a lot of the time and sitting alone at your computer. And um, so tell us a little bit about when you first were making that jump you know, as some of our listeners might be, um, what was different about the sort of day-to-day of freelancing as opposed to the day-to-day of being in the office? Um, What surprised you? What challenges did you encounter that maybe you didn't anticipate? Um, Talk to us a little bit about what that period of your life was like in terms of your day-to-day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, At first, it was really stressful because I was freelancing basically at nights and on the weekends um, to try to build up like that client base and um, feel confident enough to leave my full-time job. And that's never like an easy choice to make. (laughs) There's never really a clear cut as to when you can jump ship. Um, So I just basically got busy enough that I was like, I have to leave my job. Otherwise, I can't get this freelance work done. 
Um, so that was exciting and like super thrilling. And I, I booked a, a flight to New York to go to a writing conference, like soon after I went freelance. So it was a very like exciting time. Um, and then, you know, reality kind of sets in <laughs> months later, where you're, you're at home alone at your desk and you're tr- desperately trying to look for work. And, um, you know, it was, I was really proud of myself for doing it, but it was really hard. The thing I think that surprised me the most is that this was like, you know, eight years ago about, and every year more and more people go freelance. And I feel like that's become more common, but, um, even just eight years ago, I was just one of the few people that I knew that were doing this. And so I felt like people just thought I was sitting at home doing nothing, you know, and, and it was, that was really hard for me to try to feel like I, I don't know, was still contributing to society and, and wasn't just watching TV because that's ever, everyone's like, Oh, that's so cool. You work from home. I could never do that. I would just watch TV all day. And I'm like, well, when you have like a mortgage <laughs> to pay, you know, you get pretty motivated pretty fast. Um, so yeah, that, people say that to me a lot. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that was probably the hardest part. And then, um, for sure, any, I think any freelancer would tell you this is, uh, just working alone can be super depressing sometimes, you know, and I miss all my coworkers and, um, that is definitely hard. It's, it's in one sense, it's good because you don't have like a lot of interruptions. You don't have a lot of meetings. You can be so productive, but then on the other hand, you really miss like that camaraderie and just bouncing ideas off other people. And, um, I don't know, just having something to laugh at during the day, you know, I became like, I would joke and tell my husband that the internet was my coworker. And I would tell him, you know, what happened on the internet, like what funny video there was today or whatever. Um, (laughs) You know, my friendship. (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, that's so true. I never thought of it that way, but I'm totally going to steal that, Aubrey. That is, I'm just going to use that right and left. It's so true. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, there's. I think every freelancer I've talked to, and I include myself in this, just the mental isolation of working alone and really having to be 100% self-motivated. I mean, you have a deadline, uh, but it's up to you to get out there and get the work. And um, sort of the the mental stress, I personally have found to be the hardest part uh, by far. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's two-sided though, too, because like, I don't want to, you know, make it seem so depressing to be a freelancer. Cause the, the other side of it is that you also don't have anyone holding you back, you know, so I can go for a book project that maybe had I been on staff at a company, maybe they wouldn't have thought I was capable of taking that on or because of my position level, I wasn't allowed to, you know, go for that. And instead I, I can throw my hat, my name in the hat, you know, for projects that maybe wouldn't have fallen in my lap if I was on staff somewhere. So it is like this unlimited potential that you can have. Um, and, but yeah, at the same time, you still do have to, it's all self-motivation. You know, you have to be motivated to reach out and find those projects and then to make sure you can actually complete those projects. Right. That's right. And the other thing I was thinking about after talking with a friend yesterday is that, you know, as freelancers, we don't have a boss. Uh, we have our, you know, editors and the people who are assigning us projects or, um, you know, our agents or whatever. But, um, you know, you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of plan my day. I mean, it revolves around my kids and what's going on. But if I want to work on this project first, I'll do that. If I want to spend one hour on this one and three hours on that, that's my schedule is totally up to me. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And that's great. And so if you're feeling more productive in the morning, you can get something done then. I mean, that's, I think um, people really underestimate how much more productive freelancers can be and how much more work they can get done um, in a shorter amount of time. Because like you said, you're working around your own schedule and your own productivity level and um, you're not hopefully not getting interrupted and um, you can be sort of in like your perfect little working environment too if, if you're lucky enough to have a home office or something like that. That's right. That's right. Right now, I'm, of course, I'm in my uh, bedroom, which is also my home office. And I hope someday I will actually have a dedicated home office where I don't have to like lay in bed at night and look at my laptop. But um, <laughs> hopefully that day will come. <laughs> so, Aubrey, um, you often work on activity books. That's a lot of what you've done. Not all, but it's quite a bit. And I think it is just so fascinating. We haven't had another author on Inside the Writer's Head this season who works on this kind of book. We've had fiction authors and nonfiction authors and historical fiction and poets, but we haven't had somebody who does the to the extent of how-to books that you do. Um, I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I think our listeners would be really interested in the story that goes behind these books. Um, tell us a little bit, just give us a little bit of an overview of the type of books that you often work on and what it's like to put them together. And then maybe we can talk a little bit about your favorite ones. And you can tell us a couple interesting stories about um, things that you've ha have encountered while doing these books. Sure. Um, I can give you an idea of some of the books I've written first. Uh, for American Girl, I've done a book called Pretty in Paper, which is a paper crafts book. I've written a couple slumber party books for American Girl, uh, one of which is out right now called A Year of Slumber Parties. And that's basically 12 different themed slumber party ideas. Um, for Klutz, I've done a book called It's a bath and body box and it's filled with spa um crafts you know diy like spa activities um i currently have a book from lonely planet kids coming out called 101 small ways to change the world so that one's a little bit less less craft focused and more activity focused um so just different ways you can help uh your family and your friends and the planet and uh then i've also done Let's see here. Um, there is a book I did for Disney called, um, it's a, a, a companion book to the Wrinkle in Time um, movie. And it's a, a uh, more science and math based activity book and puzzle based. Um, so that's called a, a book of fun facts and science. So it, I've kind of run the gamut with these craft and activity books and how-to books. Um, they, yeah, they're everything from from crafts to puzzles to games to uh, recipes. So tell us, for instance, you know, as I'm listening to you, for one thing, I have to say, I just adored this kind of book when I was growing up, like the slumber party book. I would like buy these books and read them, but I would almost read them as some sort of like um, fantasy because I was a very like out of it kid who never had dream slumber parties. Instead, I was just, just huge, you know, sort of socially awkward nerd. I would like read these books like I was reading a story about some, you know, girl world that these girls lived in and, you know, sort of imagine, you know, the different scenarios they might be in. Um, so oh, as you're talking, I'm sort of... 
books are a little bit like that, like very aspirational, <laughs> you know, yes. parties and recipes, like when <laughs> I actually cooked that or. <laughs> right. Well, maybe that's part of their appeal. You know, it's a little bit like when as adults, we buy these like cookbooks and there's like, you know, some of my favorites have like imaginary, um, like menus, you know, and I'll just imagine a world in which I'm cooking a post tennis breakfast. I remember one right. cookbook and I was like, wow, I'd be cooking from scratch a post tennis breakfast right. <laughs> there's several layers of fantasy on there but so t- so tell us um for instance let's take the slumber party book um uh, you know how are you conceiving of the slumber parties in the book where are what are your sources is your source just your brain um are you do you just like make a huge list of ideas do you ask talk to girls and talk like walk us through let's say the slumber party book a little bit in terms of how this book goes from from your mind just onto the page yes so when i started working at american girl and this might blow your mind but it was pre pinterest so we Whoa came there up, <laughs> we came up with ideas <laughs> <on our own. laughs> is that possible i didn't know that people yeah. really just did, that was a thing yeah so i mean honestly like Pinterest has really kind of freaked me out uh, as someone who writes like craft and activity books and these party books, because, well, A, now anyone can go online and find all these amazing ideas, you know, from bloggers um, for free. But uh, B, is just uh, it's there's so many ideas out there and people are so creative. So now it's much easier to get inspired and look for inspiration. Um Originally, I was just checking out, you know, comparable titles from the library, you know, maybe checking out some blogs, um, definitely talking to girls when I was at American Girl, we had focus groups, and we had a craft club where we were testing ideas with local girls. Um, we had a craft room where we could just go back and goof off in with like endless amounts of craft supplies. Um, and then we would also have the most important part was just having brainstorm sessions with the whole staff. So anytime you had to work on it, you know, you were working on a feature or on a book, you could call a brainstorm and invite whoever you wanted to. And we would just sit in a room and just spitball like hundreds of ideas, you know, just no idea was a bad idea. And we would just start gathering as many ideas as possible as a way to kick off the project. So that's usually where my head goes when I'm starting a project. I'm just literally gathering anything and everything. Um, you know, these days it, it is a lot on Pinterest um, or from bloggers or um, just things on, on Instagram. There's so many beautiful things on Instagram, you know. Um, so it's just kind of getting inspired by what's out there and then trying to put a creative twist on it. Right, right. And I know that you and I have talked about an aspect of activity books that probably nobody who, except for those who actually write these books, is aware of, which is sort of like safety and liability issue that comes in. Yes. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? I know that's a pretty big consideration when you're writing these books. That I'm under the impression it takes up a fair amount of your time is sort of factoring in this these issues. Yeah. One way that um, books are very different from Pinterest or a blogger or Instagram is that um, most children's book publishers are going to put a lot of thought into, is this you know, activity actually safe for kids? 
And also, is it appropriate for their age level? Like, will they actually be successful when they do this, you know, project? So as much as, you know, Pinterest or Instagram is a great place to find free ideas, I still am a strong supporter of published books that have been vetted by a safety expert and have a stamp of approval from a publisher for that reason. And so, yeah, a lot of my time, I might see something super cute online that I want to include, um, you know, some version of that in a book, but I, I realize, oh, that's completely unsafe because in order to make that, you need a, you know, you need to cut this in such a way that it's going to be so dangerous for kids or it has to, you know, burn hot oil on a stove and we're just not, you know, that's just not okay. Or that's just, Hey, that's way too hard. And the parents just going to end up doing it anyway. And then they're going to get upset at me, the author, you know, for like, you know, parents want to be able to give their kids a a craft book and let the the kid do it on their own and, and be successful. So um, that is definitely a huge part of, of the process. Yeah, I imagine it can be kind of frustrating. You get to like, you know, step five out of six steps of planning this project, and you're like, oh, it has hot glue. Like, and it's for five year olds. Never mind. Yeah. And yeah, and some publishers have more lenient safety rules than others. Um, at American Girl, we had a super, super strict process because we, um, Mattel is a, is a, you know, they make toys as well. They're not just a publisher, so it's a toy company. So they have very strict standards um, for anything that comes out of that company. So um, it is it is frustrating because you'll see, like I said, just really cool things that other people are doing online and they're so amazing. But then the reality is they're not safe for kids. They're not easy enough for kids. And so, you're, you know, you're just not going to go down that path. Right, right. Oh, I can imagine. The one tiny activity book I once did was so <laughs> baffling to me. And I think I had like um, some seven-year-olds doing like hammering with hammer and nails. And, um, you know, I'm lucky that they still have fingers, I guess. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, it can also be nerve-wracking because you're just like, oh my God, I don't want to get sued, you know? <laughs> like, <I've> been- <laughs> That's right. Yeah. So, Aubrey, you also ghostwrite, um, and that is also something that we have not had a chance to talk about on Inside the Writer's Head this season. We have not had a ghostwriter yet, and so I'm so glad that you have that aspect of your career. Um, You know, I know as a ghostwriter, you can't name some of your clients, um, but tell us what you are able to about the types of ghostwriting projects that you've worked on, knowing that some of them just you might have to keep private. Yeah. Um, so the ghostwriting that I've done has been in children's publishing, um, and it has been either written by an adult that is targeted towards kids or the work I can um, talk about is the work I've done with young kids who, um, literally just don't have the ability to write their own book. So we need to hire, you know, a ghostwriter to make it happen. So I recently worked on a project with Simon Schuster um, and a company called Pocket Watch um, on a book called Watch This Book. And they um, are, it's a book featuring different YouTube stars. So one of the YouTube stars was a five-year-old, you know, and he obviously can't write his own content. So, <laughs> <laughs> But he can be a YouTube star, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, they have 
to bring in a writer to to interview the kids and just kind of formulate the story. And, you know, a lot of everything I do is, is nonfiction, but a lot of it is narrative nonfiction. So there's still a storytelling element and, um, you know, a beginning, middle and end that needs to be told and uh, shaped. And so that's where a ghostwriter can come in. Um, and then also some of the work I've done has been um, activity books for YouTube stars and they, um, might have a really popular how-to YouTube channel. Um, but then, the, again, they just don't have experience writing a book, you know? So they just need someone to guide them along the way and um, also vet the safety, you know, concerns and just uh, formulate a more cohesive uh, how-to book, you know? They just they're used to working in a different format and don't have that publishing experience. So a ghostwriter can be super helpful um, with that. Right. That's right. So it sounds like you see your role um, of ghostwriter as, um, I don't know, maybe sort of like the mom of the project, like sort of gathering all the pieces, drawing out the story, putting it together, making sure everything fits and that everybody's happy and that your client is happy the star is happy, the publisher is happy. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a working relationship. You know, it's, it's, they're still the author and I am just the writer on the project. And so it's, you know, making sure that their thoughts are being brought to life and that their voice is included. That's really important. You know, it, having a phone call and interviewing and just talking with the person that you're writing for is super important. So you can understand their voice and it sounds like them, you know, you don't want to strip them of, of that, you know, even though they might not be writing everything, um, they, you still want that feeling in the book that it belongs to them. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting you, um, you know, you differentiate between the author, quote unquote, and the writer. And, you know, in this case, the author is the, uh, the person you're ghostwriting for, the client, mm -hmm. and the writer is you or whoever's doing this, the ghostwriter. And, um, you know, it's interesting. I enjoy, I enjoy ghostwriting. I like that kind of work. I think some authors um, find it hard to be in the background. I mean, you, that's your job is you're not to have your own voice, but to reflect the voice of, of the, the person who would like the, the work written. Um, do you have any thoughts on, you know, how it feels as a writer to sort of, um, be the kind of the workings behind the machine? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not for everyone. Um, there's a joke that like, as long as your name is on the check, who cares, you know, whether it's on the book. <laughs> yes. That's one way to look at it. But I, I do agree that sometimes it gets a little, um, it, you know, it gets a little weird sometimes because you're, you might be really proud of a project, but you can't really share it. And so you have to be okay with that. And then, um, also just, yeah, I think that's mainly it. It still feels like your little project, but at the same time, it's not. So that's something you have to be okay with. Yeah, I feel like you have to be okay with that going in right up, right up from the beginning. It's never going to change. And if that's not for you, then that's the ghostwriting is probably not for you. If you're okay with that for real, then, you know, plunge ahead. Right, exactly. So... Um, Aubrey, just a few minutes that we have left, a couple of questions for you. We want to hear about your current project. And we also want to hear about what you have in mind for yourself personally as a writer long term. Um, do you have any goals that might surprise us? Or are you happy just sort of continuing on doing the books that you have been doing 
so far. Talk to us a little bit about what the next, let's say, three to five years looks like for you writing-wise, at least ideally. Sure. Um, first, I'll talk about my upcoming project. Um, I mentioned it previously, but it's called uh, 101 Small Ways to Change the World, and it's published by Lonely Planet Kids. And it's just awesome ways that kids can help out their family, friends, and themselves, and the planet. And it focuses on how you're never too young to make a big difference. Um, so I do have two events coming up. If anyone's in the LA area, I have one at Children's Book Worlds on Saturday, October 13th at 2.30. And um, one at Once Upon a Time Bookstore in Montrose, California, outside of LA at 2 p.m. on Sunday, October 14th. So those are my big things I have coming up. But as it sounds like... Yeah, it's, it's a really fun book. I really enjoyed working with Lonely Planet Kids and they're really... Um, publishing a lot more uh, books in that line. Um, I know everyone's familiar with the travel guides, but their their Lonely Planet Kids line is adorable. And there's just a ton of awesome uh, content being pushed out from them right now. Yeah. Um, okay. And so as far as what is coming up in the far future for me, any big goals, um, I would like to get more into fiction. So that's always been a goal of mine. And I've written a short story that was published in American Girl magazine, but that's pretty much as far as I've gotten. Um, I, I do all this work for hire um, nonfiction projects and it's great and I love it. it. It takes up a lot of my time. So I don't have a lot of time to do my own projects. So I think um, I would really like to focus on that in the next three to five years and do some more of, you know, pitching my own projects. And instead of being asked, Hey, are you interested in working on this kind of title? Um, I would like to actually come up with my own projects and have an agent and, and really try to um, get my own personal projects out there a bit more. Oh, I completely understand. Well, that's about all the time we have. Aubrey, I'm so glad you could come in and talk with us today. Thank you for having me. It was so fun. For the Cincinnati Public Library, I'm writer-in-residence Emma Carlson-Byrne. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Writer's Head. Special thanks to the Library Foundation for funding the Writer-in-Residence program. You can meet Emma at various events throughout the year or at open office hours on the third Saturday of every month from 10 a.m. until noon at the Coryville Branch Library. Learn more by visiting cincinnatilibrary.org slash writerinresidence. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss future episodes and leave us a review. It helps other book lovers find us. Thank you for listening. <laughs>